Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, live from the Batcave. I've got a great conversation for you today with Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. You know their work both individually and collectively on things like Casanova, the Umbrella Academy. Uh, a few years ago, they collaborated on Day Tripper. And uh, now they uh, collaborate once again, adapting an amazing piece of Brazilian literature called The Brothers. It came out from uh, Dark Horse Comics just a couple weeks ago, and it is really such an amazing book. Uh, it really displays the history of Brazil and is at the same time a very personal uh, family story and uh, a great kind of soap opera story in the best sense of the word. It's just amazing, and I'm very uh, blown away with how well it came out. And it was a pleasure to uh, speak to the brothers for the first time and uh, get a bit of their origin story and uh, just what they uh, are doing these days in comic books. They also mentioned their work with uh, Mike Mignola on uh, BPRD. So a uh, great chance to uh, catch up with the brothers, Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon, on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much for your support via Patreon. Uh, if you want to help and uh, subscribe to Word Balloon, you don't have to, it's free. But if you want to help out the cause, come to wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon <clears throat> click on the Patreon uh, image that you see there on the front page or on the tab and it'll get you to a video and explain uh, why it would be great if you could help out uh, the cause and uh, and be part of Word Balloon in a in a contributing sort of way. So thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. As I always say, and I mean it, the best way you can help Word Balloon out is let a friend know that you like the show and you think they would like it as well. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Tremendous books are happening now at InStock Trades at great values. They have over 300 TC titles, up to 70% off the standard retail price. They have select dynamite titles up to 70% off. Um, plus, things like uh, a huge clearance on uh, many titles up to 70% off while supplies last. Look for them, uh, the details right there at InStockTrades.com. And also take advantage of uh, uh, great savings on books like uh, Casanova. Asidia, the trade paperback is now out, featuring the brothers on art and uh, Matt Fraction and Michael Shabon uh, doing uh, the, the front and backup stories. It's 50% off, just $4.99 at InStock Trades. You can get Batman Adventures Trade Paperback Volume 3 for $9.34. John Hickman's uh, Avengers Time Runs Out Volume 2, the trade paperback, is 42% off, $11.59. From Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, Empire Uprising, the trade paperback is 30% uh, off, $12.59. You get Fables, The Wolf Among Us, the trade is now out. Matthew Sturgis wrapping things up in the Fable universe, 45% off, $10.99. Superman, The War Years, the hardcover is 25% off, $18.74. There's lots more to save on at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself now, InStockTrades.com. Well, it was just about a week ago, Friday morning, uh, I woke up early to uh, speak directly via Skype to Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. It was a fantastic conversation. And uh, I'm very happy to present another edition of Word Balloon International, as I like to call it. But uh, great chance to meet and uh, hear their own story in their own words. Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon join us now on Word Balloon. I'm always excited to have international guests on because I, I love hearing the perspective of uh, the the non-U.S. creators. So it's it's a real pleasure to welcome Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon to Word Balloon. Thank you guys for coming on today. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's our, our pleasure, really. Well, congratulations on uh, this epic graphic novel. My God. Uh, it's it's so dense. I'm, uh, do you, I don't know if, you know, the American tradition is uh, in the summertime, you get a book like this and you really get to sit down and read it. And I'm, I'm glad, I mean, I, I think no matter what time of year, people will enjoy it. But this is such a... Uh, a rich, deep, multi-dimensional story, and I and I, I mean, it's simple on the surface about this family and these two brothers, but my God, I mean, it's such an ambitious story. I didn't know about the novel. How did how did it become a graphic novel? How did you guys get approached, or did you guys want to do this? I know it was a very successful novel, regular novel book in uh, in Brazil, but how did the comic book happen? 
Uh, well, we, the, the three of us, Fabio and I, and Milton, the author of the novel, we were all guests on a literary festival here in Brazil. And we were on a dinner talking, and uh, the editor of the comic book imprint of the publisher saw the three of us talking and had this brilliant idea of inviting us to adapt the novel into a comic book because we, uh, because it, you know, at a first level, the first reading, it's a story about twin brothers and we are twins. And yes. <laughs> what we would think about adapting the novel into a comic book. And I think that that was the first spark. Yeah. The initial spark was just the fact that the story revolves about twins and we are twins. Sure. And, because uh, the book is is a very successful book in Brazil. I think the the publisher wouldn't invite anyone to turn the, the story into a graphic novel if it was only one creator. I think that the the hook was to have the twins interpret interpretation of the twin story. And at first at first we almost said no. We said we were <laughs> hesitant because it's a very complex story. It's a very dense, uh, multi-layered yes. narrative. And but after we both had read the novel, we saw that because of all these problems, because of all these uh, difficulties. difficulties, it was the perfect challenge for us to tackle after the Day Tripper, and it was something that we really wanted to explore in comics that we didn't see very often. That density of the story, that complexity, that tragedy. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're right. And I, and I was even going to say that Day Trippers is a good way to start if people haven't read that before. And then to go to something this ambitious because of its dimensions and density. I absolutely agree. Um, how how long is the novel? I mean, this is you know this is two hundred and sixty pages or so of comic book, and and you know I, I I to even approach this did I mean is the novel much bigger? Is it a, is it a longer novel itself? It's it's not so much longer. It's it's two hundred and sixty pages uh, uh -huh. novel, and we we made a two hundred twenty four pages graphic novel. Okay, okay, yeah, but it's it's. It, it is ob obviously deeper in into the characters. You know, there are more. The characters are more developed in the novel. There's a little more um, development in their backgrounds and some of the the supporting characters, like like the sister Hania or Domingas, the the maid. So mm -hmm. it goes. A little deeper into their backgrounds, and we we trimmed that a little bit to make the story uh, a bit more um, uh, we, we, dynamic. I think. Yeah, yeah, dynamic. We, we focus on what we could see. Yeah, like, we, sure, well, when, sure. When we were like adapting, we we chose what. Uh, we could see and what the narrator could see and what the main characters could see as a starting point to what we would keep and to what we would have to change a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We didn't want the the story to be always told, you know, from from a outsider point of view. So everything that is a little more like uh, a report or or a memory uh, that we wouldn't show in images, uh, I think we, we left out of the story. Okay. To focus on what we could show, what happens to the characters that move the story forward, that build the story. And, but in the end, I think our adaptation is really faithful to the, to the novel. Uh, it's very close to the novel. Is uh, how do you say Milton's last name? Hatum. 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 Okay, it is Hatum. Yeah. yeah. Was you know? I imagine he he's got to be pleased. I mean, you know, this is uh, it, it's great. I mean, because it's so different than having a a film 
made, I suppose, from your novel. Um, did you did you have many discussions with him in terms of how you were going to approach this visually? Well, we didn't have many discussions, but we have a few that were very important. Uh, mm-hmm. In the beginning of the process, while we were reading and rereading the book, we we saw that we needed to go to Manaus and research the city. And so we met with Milton to ask for tips and to where to go, what to look for. And he was very helpful showing us what, what, what were the places that were in the novel that are still there in Manaus, uh, what places changed names and pointed us towards people who were living in Manaus who could help us walk around and, and research the city. So that was one of our first meetings with him, which was very helpful. And then afterwards, two years after that, while when we were like starting to draw, we showed Newton the character sketches to see how he, how he reacted to how we thought the characters should look like. And he was very pleased, but kind of disappointed with the way we portrayed Zena, the mother, in the beginning. Because our initial idea, she was a much more sexy, exotic, gypsy woman. And, okay. And Milton had a completely different idea. And he pulled some family pictures from the 20s and the 30s to show the kind of elegant Lebanese woman living in Brazil and... And, that, and then he, he talked to us about the importance of the character in the story, which is something that you would not really get only by reading the novel. So it was our only talk about what he meant when he created the character and what that character meant for the story, which made us completely change the way we, we drew Zana, the mother, on the story. Understood. And, okay. But then afterwards, we only saw... We only showed him uh, pages when they were ready two times, one in the middle and then in the end. And, and he was very surprised with the result. He, he, I, I don't think he expected the visual power of comics and how, 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 how much of an energy the visuals can bring and how powerful it is to be able to see the story, to see the city, because the story yes. talks about this city that doesn't exist anymore. It's a story about memories, about the past of the city and the past of that family. And to be able to see all those things, to build all those things and draw all those things, that creates, uh, I don't know, that makes the story much more emotional visually. And Milton wasn't expecting that, that emotion and that energy. And he was, he was very surprised. It's very exciting because it does provide this amazing atmosphere of this, you know, and again, as someone who even didn't grow up in uh, in Brazil, it, it is really educational to, to learn about this this period. I've read that a lot of Milton's books are kind of uh, symbolic of uh, a couple of his books were symbolic of the uh, period in the 60s through the 80s, where the military had taken over uh, Brazil, the coup d'etat that happened. Um, and is I, I know this story obviously takes place uh, in the early you know 1900s, uh, but I wonder, is, is that symbolism there in, in this story in particular, where it's kind of a, a, a comment, uh, like the, the, the maid's son who's trying to figure out, you know, who who's who who his father is um is is he symbolic of say modern brazil and and where his influences come from was it the traditions of the old ways or the military well this story takes place it ends around the early 80s and uh, the, la- the, the the last part of the book is in the mid 60s early 70s so we are in the beginning of the military uh, dictatorship here in Brazil. Yes. And the Nael, the narrator, who is the maid's son, she is, he represents this, this uh, lower class 
kind of people around the country who could see in in education a way to succeed in life. And when you see the when you see that chapter where the the there's a chapter talking about the dictatorship, it's when the, the, the professor Laval is arrested and killed. And and Yakub returns to the city for a visit. That's mm -hmm. in 1964 when the, the coup happened. And when Nael is, is is witnessing the city being taken over by the military and not understanding um, anything that was happening. Sure. He was scared as were everyone living at that period. And it's a, it's a symbolism killing the, the teacher as a, as a way to talk about how the dictatorship ruined public education in Brazil and and in a way like the, the chance of the future for many people who were not empowered at the time, who were of lower classes and and such. But it's yes. it's told in this it's not straightforward. Not so much straightforward. Right. And but it's it's hinted in the in the story. And that's no, it's of, a, yeah, that's one of the things we love about this book. All these things that are there in a sub layer of the story, of the main story. So there's this whole comment on the history of Brazil underneath the, the, the main story of the family and the yes. brothers and the and the narrator. So that's that's one thing that really captured our interest in this story. No, it's incredibly deep and I and again I think incredibly educational. I you know, dumb Americans, we have no idea what's what was going on. And literally that's yeah, one of you the, know I was I was born the year of the story was just that. Like this is a part of Brazil, like there's a whole part of the Brazil's history that we know, but Manaus is a isolated city for most of Brazilians, most of Brazilians don't know Manaus. So for us, it was also a very fascinating view into this part of Brazil that we don't know during this part of history where Manaus really decayed from being a very important city in the world trade of rubber, decaying into this isolated place in the middle of the forest. So for us, it was also a chance to discover that city and to portray that city so more people could discover it. When the military took over, they they closed off communication and uh, the freedom of the press, things we take for granted in, in uh, you know, the United States. And it's uh, and also uh, I, I was shocked to learn that although I'm sure it's not a surprise to anyone outside of the United States that the United States backed the military coup as well. And that that's kind of disappointing and one of those bad chapters of American history that I don't think uh, a lot of Americans uh, learn about unless they really investigate on their own and discover this or, you know, get exposed to two things like this book and, and learn and learn this kind of shocking, you know, truth yeah i think um the united states during a long time they they backed up a lot of foreign governments or policies against let's say the communists or left-wing uh, ideas yes and that was um you know one of the one of the the, the propagandas for the dictatorship you know they're fighting Left, left ideas. Right, they don't want the communists to take over. That was the the slogan. But the re, but also, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the irony was it took away freedoms from yeah. from the people in a way that they said they were trying to protect uh, the people from the loss of freedoms from from communism. So, yeah, very uh, very complicated. But again, told uh, symbolically in this family story. No, I, I honestly, guys, this is incredibly ambitious 
and you absolutely succeeded in in telling a very uh, c- cool kind of I, I hate to use the word soap opera, but it in in some and you guys are smiling when I say that and I appreciate that so you understand where I'm coming from. It's a it is it's this great personal family story that has a lot of intrigue and uh, and sex and uh, and and it's the kind of again it it reminds me of a good summer novel. And uh, I really think that uh, people will not be disappointed when they when they pick this up. the the uh, The reception in Brazil was was very good to your adaptation. Uh, yes, has been uh, very very good because even though it's a it's a modern classic of Brazilian literature, it's 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 adapted. Uh, no, it's it's um, used in colleges and in in high schools and. But there are still a lot of people who don't know the book or who don't know the story. And, and it's great to see new readers discovering the story through the adaptation and then going after the novels. Terrific. And, and, and we, we still have two different, very different types of readers here in Brazil. And the, the usual comic book reader is not much into literature and the other way around. So we are one thing that we think this story can do is mix these two types of readers and presenting literature to the comic book readers and also comic books to the literary community. And we've been doing that for some years now and I think this this exchange is happening and but you need powerful good powerful stories to do that and we believe this one is 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 very good for that how would you describe the brazilian comic book reader what types of books do they enjoy reading as opposed to say the american comic book reader or is it very similar uh well there there is a very similar part of the readership but like when we were during the dictator, dictatorship, dictatorship. dictatorship, the only comics made here in Brazil they were uh, comic, uh, they were funny strips and humor strips in the newspaper, mostly. Okay. Because they had to dodge the censorship of the dictator. Yes. And so, our main tradition of comics here in Brazil from the 80s on is in humor comics and so that's what that's one of the impressions that the readership has and the other one is that comics are for kids and and not only comics are for kids like in the US where they think superheroes are for kids here it's for kids really kids like the the, little kids the characters are kids and there, there is this one guy, Mauricio de Souza, who, who has a studio, and all they, they all write and draw for him in his style, and he's been here publishing for 60 years. 60 years. Okay. He's kind of the Walt Disney of Brazil. And so, I was going to say, it so, sounds like it going Yeah, on. and yes. kids, kids here in Brazil, they learn how to read reading comics, reading his comics. So that's the other perception that the, the people have, is that... Brazilian comics are for kids and they look like that or they are humorous strips in the newspapers and 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 outside of that it was what came from the other countries which was mainly superheroes for a long time and then manga and then a little bit of European comics so it was a big mix of what we could get and what we could read mm-hmm. and but nowadays everything is different like in the US that this, the, the scenery of comics changed so much with the increase of the festivals and how the festivals allow independent authors to have an individual voice. So now you, you can't really say what, what Brazilian comics look like. But for a long time, it was comic uh, humor for kids or superheroes from the U.S., you know. What were the early comics that inspired you guys to try to cartoon yourselves and draw yourselves? Well, there's the, there was this magazine in the 80s. Um, I, I recently put that the cover of the 
first issue on my Twitter account. You can look for it like in this okay. week. And it was called Chiclete com Banana. It's, it's bubble gums and Banana. bananas. Bubble gum and bananas. Okay. Yeah. It was a, this magazine of underground comics uh, inspired by you know, the underground comics in, in the U.S., and it was on the newsstand, every newsstand in the country, it, w it, it reached this, uh, this very high um, selling number of a thousand copies every month or a little over that. So a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so during the mid eighties, this was like right after the dictatorship ended. So they could do anything. And they did this very crazy magazine. One of the main characters was a punk uh, guy in Sao Paulo who was against everything. And there was other, other characters who were pirates that uh, sailed through the river here in Sao Paulo. So these magazines were getting everywhere. Every kid or, or teenager wanted to read that because it was very um, subversive. subversive and had sex all, all around and, and swearing. But also it happened here. The stories happened here in Sao Paulo, in Brazil. So these stories, these comics had a big influence on us because we could see ourselves in the stories. We could relate to them because they took place here also and not like a superhero story. We, we used to read a lot of superhero comics as well. Uh, growing up, being teenagers in, in, during the 80s, it was very powerful to grab the attention of the reader and someone who wants to, to make comic books. And so we read all the big classics uh, from Dark Knight and Watchmen and all that, that really, you know, showed us how powerful these comic books could be. But this story is set in Brazil, and also some of Will Wisner's stories were being published here. Like wow, great. The Building, uh, that story, The Building that he did. Yes. It was also about normal people, uh, and their lives and how they relate to the place that they live in and how one, the place affects their lives and how they affect each other. So these kinds of comics, they left a big impression on us, even though we read 10 or 20 superhero books every month. These were the comics that left a bigger impression when we decided we wanted to make comics and we started trying to tell our own stories. These were the comics that that popped out uh, on our reference, our melting pot sure. references. And but we did try to follow the superhero um, path. Path because yeah. in the early nineties there were a few Brazilian artists starting to to, to draw for the American market. Yeah. yeah, and the beginning of the 90s were that first big boom of Brazilians drawing superheroes. So Mike Deodato, Roger Cruz, Mark Campos, they were all starting to draw superheroes. And we thought, ah, that's the way you can live off doing comics. You can draw superheroes. And so we, we thought we would do that. And yeah. Also because in the 90s we had this big economic crisis here in Brazil. So a lot of the publishers... Went down. bankrupt and closed wow. down, and no one was really publishing a lot of Brazilian comics except from that that one for kids. There was no really no opportunity for Brazilian artists to publish here in Brazil, and we did we started self publishing because of that. But we saw like the the possibility of drawing superheroes for the U.S. one way to 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 really do you know, work with comic books. But I think, fortunately, we, yeah, we didn't, we failed yeah. on trying to do that. 
I was going to ask because, you know, um, to self-publish even in the 90s and stuff, uh, and you, I know you guys are aware of, uh, and you're part of this, so many people self-publishing today. What was the difference then? You literally had to go, I imagine, from store to store with your with your creator own books in Brazil to get them uh you know sold in stores. I mean, that was a lot of direct marketing that you had to go and and really almost, you know, knock on doors and walk in and, and show them your books, right? Well it was it was even a smaller scale than that because yeah. there was no market. Yeah. It was more like a person to person kind of mouth sale. To mouth, mouth to mouth. Sale, yeah. we, we had our fanzines in our backpack when we would go to college or go to work or, where, where, or when we would go out at night and we would talk about this, how we thought comics could be and what comics could talk about. And we had our fanzines and our independent comics to show the type of stories that we didn't find anywhere else that we thought could be done. So it was much more about trying to I don't know, educate the the public about the possibilities of comics than trying to find a market because there were there were no markets in Brazil in the yeah. 90s. We were not really making a living of yeah. these comics. And I think making the fanzine was a way of showing our work to to the reader, to, yeah. to new people, and also an incentive for us to keep producing new stories. Because even though even nowadays it's very hard to to make a book like Two Brothers, for example, that took us four years. Wow! Staying, staying, you know, working for four years on something and not showing anyone, it's very hard. But working on very short stories and showing to people every week because we did a weekly, very short fanzine. Every week, you know, keeps pumping you into producing. Making sure. more, showing new stuff, trying new things. You see the, the results, you see the reaction of the of the readers. So even though it was a very small scale, um, it helped us to believe in the work and keep working, keep producing. And after we did the a first like a story in seven parts, we kept selling this miniseries over the mail for years. Uh, and that's how people started to to get to know our work over some years by by you know buying that uh, by mail a little bit. But it was not you know no no expressive numbers. But here in Brazil during that time, the market was such a desert that every drop count, and it helped us a lot. So what uh, what? happened to uh, expose your work to a bigger outside of Brazil audience? What was your uh, big break? I think it was the fact that we traveled to San Diego Comic Con Yeah, every year. Yeah, we started going to San Diego in 1997. Wow. And first, you know, the first year we, we had this project. It's called, it was called Roland Days of Wrath. It was a medieval story written by a friend of ours, and we, 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 we drew it. But we had like one issue in pencil by that time. So we were mostly fans. We wanted to get into the comic book business. And we went there for the first time, and we were amazed not only by the size of the market and all these creators that we grew up reading were there, but also all the other comics and creators and small publishers we have never heard of in Brazil. So all the possibilities of working with comics expanded a lot by the, sure. the first time we went to San Diego and discovered all, all of those other things. And that was really helpful. That was inspiring. We, we, at that point, we thought... We either do superheroes here in the U.S. or we go back to Brazil and do uh, humor comics because the things we wanted didn't exist. But now, at that, at that time in San Diego, we discovered there were all these different sorts of comics. Everyone was doing their own things in smaller scales, bigger scales, but different things. 
And sure. that was really helpful. And we kept going back every year. So we, we live in Brazil. We did our things here, kept working on our fanzine. But every year we would return to San Diego and do some portfolio reviews, tried. Uh, we, we eventually self-published Roland because we didn't get any publisher to publish it. So we self-published okay. it in, in the U.S. two years later in 99. And and that helped. That was our connection, our bridge to meeting editors, artists, writers. And as we kept producing new stuff here in Brazil, every year would, we would have new pages to show. Uh, eventually, we started translating our own stories so we could show the stories as well. And that caught the attention of Diana Schultz from Dark Horse. Yes. Uh, she, the first thing, first time she read a couple of our stories, she said, I like your drawings. They're improving, but I like your stories best. So try to, you know, make some more and maybe I can convince my boss to publish an, an anthology of your work. And that took us five years. So it was like in 2001 and 2006 when that book came out, which is Details. Okay. And wow. But, you know, every year would, we would make a new progress, a new step forward. So we got one short story asked by Diana again on that autobiographics anthology for that course, full of short autobiographical stories and then we got one of our books published in the US which was called Ursula um, by a, a publisher called AIT Planet Lar. Yes. Larry Young. Yes yeah, it did. Larry Young, yeah. That there's where we met. We met Becky Clunan there. We met Brian Wood there. We met Matt Fraction's work. Uh, he had a book called Last of Independence. Yes. By them. So we started meeting new creators as well. Uh, and, you know, every year we, we would have an, a new thing, even smaller things, but a new thing. And one thing led to the other, and, and that's how things got started to work for us. When um, Was it always the plan for the two of you to create comics together? I know since you have had... Uh, solo books where one of you have worked, you know, uh, Gabe, you you worked on uh, Umbrella Academy. You've each taken arcs of uh, Casanova uh, and, and, you know, one of you have worked on it with the, or the other. But like working together, was that always, you know, kind of the plan or uh, did it just kind of happen? I think that that was kind of always the plan. We didn't really have a plan. Yeah, we, we just okay. <laughs> did everything together when we were kids, when we grew up. Being twins and drawing was one of the things that connected us because we could do that from very early on and we did it everywhere. And so we were drawing at home, drawing in the beach, drawing at school. So drawing always had this strong connection with us being twins. So we always thought drawing comics together was it's kind natural, of natural yeah, and normal and, and only... Only in the middle of the process of going to San Diego over and over and trying to see ways to publish our work, we started to think about how we could uh, work with other writers and try to draw the type of comics that we don't usually write. Yeah, work and, on different genres. Yeah, work on different genres. And that led us to start working separately. Up until that point, we did everything together. So the, our Brazilian audience thinks that we work together all the time. And for them, it's strange to see us working separately. And in the U.S., <laughs> the stuff that really started caught the attention of the American public was when we started working separately with Casanova yes. and Umbrella Academy. So it's kind Absolutely. of the other way around. But for us, working together is very natural. And, and so we, we try to go back to that, um, to that type of 
creating when we can. But at the same time, we, we saw that working with other people and working separately with other writers give us a wider range of the type of stories we can draw and the type of stories we can tell. When you guys were cre- uh, collaborating with uh, with Matt Fraction, for example, on Casanova, was um, was there a language barrier sometimes? Because I know a lot of the ideas in Casanova in particular, and also Umbrella Academy for that matter, are very way out there, you yeah. know, and and that's what that's what makes it great. And I, you know, again, I Casanova was my first uh, exposure to your works. And uh, I I loved it, and I I love the spy genre, but also the psychedelic uh, imagery and and ideas that came from it as well. Was it was it tough initially uh, understanding the the references that you know Matt would throw at you guys, or or was it you know or or was all that stuff kind of international and you understood? Well, um, as you said, like the language barrier was no problem. One word or another, there's nothing like that a dictionary can't handle. But sure. <laughs> the references are another problem. They're a whole okay. different <laughs> issue. So there's a lot of things that go underneath Casanova that I don't have those references. And I go looking for some of them, but some of them I can't. So if I, if that you know, keeps me from understanding what Matt wants to tell, then I can ask him and he would, he would explain something. But that doesn't happen a lot. But I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot in there that I don't get and or probably <laughs> doesn't get. We, we haven't read uh, uh, Pinchon and... There's a lot of other references in there, and there's also personal references. So what is more important for us is to get the the vibe that Matt wants. Yes. And and if there's some specific reference he wants, we go after that. But other than that, it's, it's the best we can do with what we understand of the story, which is crazy too too much crazy for us yeah but that's i think that's terrific and i also think given your own imaginations and ambitions that you show in your stories um maybe the combination of you know you guys coming from a different point of view makes for a different visual experience than even matt expected at least that's what it felt like as we were reading, as I was reading this stuff, was, you know, uh, my imagination felt stretched reading uh, and continues to when I read Casanova. Yeah, that's a, I think that's exactly what happens, because maybe if we had all the references Matt has, it would be too close to them. Too, yes. And too too conventional. Yeah. Yes. And since we don't have, we have to come out with crazy stuff, how to portray that. And, and that's, you know, so we have to put our references to try to do that. And that, from the early, early point when we started working with Casanova or Umbrella Academy or, or these other projects that we don't write, we had to stretch our drawing muscle a lot because we would have to draw things that we didn't come up with, we didn't know how to draw and that that was a big improvement in our artistic skills and how to put those scripts into the into the art and with Casanova it's a continuing process because it's it's always something crazy and it's it's never never plain or never calm it's always no. <laughs> it's always a challenge. Casanova is a very challenging book. Yeah, and nowadays well, it's even more complicated. Nowadays I have this impression that Matt is kind of challenging Michael Chabon, and they are challenging each other each to other. see who can write the most obscure reference, and <laughs> how. And they 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 they're like 
I don't know, they are betting secretly mm-hmm. in dark rooms <laughs> to see who is going to have more trouble drawing those references. It's yeah. if it's going to be me or if it's going to be my brother. So what it, are you working on with uh, Michael Sheban? He's doing short backup stories in Casanova. So oh, excuse me. Yes, I had heard that. I haven't read it yet. I I haven't re- have they collected the last yeah, arc yet? It's coming out. So first, I think next next week. Next, next week, week is coming out. out the first little trade with four issues. Yeah, we did four issues so far, and Michael writes the the, the backup stories on each issue, and I draw them. And that's fantastic. And they're crazier. <laughs> script a lot how are how are uh, Casanova books uh, re- uh, received in Brazil do do people enjoy them in Brazil I think they they like the public in the US they don't quite understand Casanova it looks very nice it looks yeah. very cool but it's very complex I think it's it's a very it's a specific very, it's book yeah. yeah it's very specific understood yeah so people who like it love it yeah that's, uh, that's yeah. For sure. Yeah, we we have no, I, yeah we have a response from the French publisher as well, and that's what he tells us. People who like does, it love it, and I think that's everywhere. But it's a, it's a complicated book. It's yeah. not simple. But well, that doesn't same, surprise me. Go ahead, please, Fabio. Yeah. At the same Go time, ahead. I think by the time we finish, I think it's going to be this very unique, complex puzzle of a story and that's one of our I don't know our inspirations (laughs) and hopes to keep working on the book because it's so dense that there there it's like there's no way there's nothing like Casanova out there agreed and so we really want to see this comic through to see how more of density this this comic can bring and it's not getting any any lighter or any mm-hmm. more straightforward. It's only getting <laughs> denser and more complex. And but I think once it's over, then it will reach everybody. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So how long is this story going to be? Uh, it's, it's going, going to, to be, be seven arcs. Seven arcs. Yeah. One for wow. each deadly scene. Yeah. Um, the current story is going to be seven arcs. The cur- is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. The current story is going to be seven arcs, and we are in the middle of the fourth. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Yes. Uh, all right. That makes sense then. So there's going to be, yeah, three more. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because, uh-huh. yeah, I, I always try to wait and, and until an arc is finished uh, to speak to Matt about them. Mm-hmm. And because of because of the complexity... And it is amazing to step back and read the whole story and and understand the puzzle a little bit better. But also, I still need Matt to <laughs> kind of explain. Uh, but it's it's you're right. There is nothing like Casanova out there, and I am really glad that the three of you got together and also now Shabon writing the backup stories because uh, it is so much fun. I uh, I told Matt. And I think it was the was it the second arc or the third arc where Casanova puts himself in the the body of a woman. Yeah, second arc. Second. Yeah. It was second arc. Okay, and the island had had the uh, cannon mm-hmm. at the end of the story, and I told Matt, isn't that kind of symbolic that from a a phallic standpoint that the island had a cannon in the same sense that Casanova was hiding his masculinity in the in the body of a woman. And I heard him, and he said, "You know, I didn't even think of that." <laughs> he goes, "But you're right." He goes, "I guess subconsciously, you're probably right." So, uh, and that's the thing. It's, it's, you no, know, you guys are. I, I love. Uh, it's, it really is my favorite of your works, and uh, I, I truly look forward to it I- with each arc. So uh, I'm glad to hear that all that uh, the first arc, that the, the trade is coming out, because then I can really sit down and uh, and read it. Because I prefer to read it in in the in the trades. Like that, Good. so and I hear a new Umbrella Academy coming up too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm working on the first issue, and it's as crazy or crazier than the other ones. And right. I, I met with Gerard in, in in July after San Diego. Went to LA to meet with him, and we had all these crazy ideas. And now we we could finally put both schedules together. 
and we are we are doing it. I'm very excited. It's as I'm I'm working on the pages, I and you know with the recent Star Wars trailer, I had the same feeling like, oh, I know these characters. This is so exciting seeing all these things again and then coming back to this world. And that's how I'm feeling going back to the Umbrella Academy because it's been so long. And yes, I've ten years. So many things, yeah. Right. Uh, nine, six years. Oh, only six years. Okay, I thought it was longer. Okay, six years. Man, no, I, that's that's terrific. And I saw, I saw you guys together on a San Diego panel years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'm pretty sure you guys were on that panel with with Gerard. Um, yeah, well, yeah, most of them. Yeah, not all of them, but most of them. Yeah, there you go. No, it was uh, it was great. And so, what is it like to work with Gerard? I imagine very different from working with Matt. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, even though both scripts and both stories are very crazy, I get a lot more the references Gerard puts in than the ones that Matt puts in. So, it's also a very it's a it's a it's struggle. It's a, it's a challenge to draw Umbrella Academy, but I get it a lot more than I do with with Casanova. So it's uh, I would say it's easier to draw Umbrella Academy than to draw Casanova. Casanova is always a struggle to make it work because I know it can work. I just have to think a little bit more. But with Umbrella, I, I get the ideas. I love. Gerard puts a lot of very specific references. Could may it be for what they are wearing, or the places they are going to visit, or some props. They are very specific, and and I love the different um, different places he draws everything from. It's, sure. it's not all. It's not all comic books. Uh, and there's all these different references. It's it's funny that I've we've we've been working on these two projects almost by the same time, Casanova and Umbrella Academy. They are very similar, but they are completely different in the in this way of mix mixing different genres into one comic book and different references into the same story, but. Obviously, Umbrella Academy is, is a lot lighter and more fun and dynamic than Casanova, who's that that is it's a dance story, much more complex. Now, don't don't get fooled by the all the jokes and running around that goes on in Casanova because it's a very dense story. And but Umbrella Academy has its density and you know has a lot of things that Gerard is keeping to reveal as the story progresses but it's all it's always a lot of fun in the, in the in the crazy stuff that that it's always happening <laughs> no i that's great i'm i'm really excited that it's coming back and also interested that uh it's being uh developed for television and and it is such a crazy uh it, you know adventure fun book that that I I I I'm curious to see how television is able to adapt what you guys have been able to do so far. Yeah, yeah, all these things, the the adaptations, they are. I just hope they can do a, you know, good job on their their language, uh, because we do we try to do best crazier job on comics. That's our language, sure. and. But, you know, movies are a completely different thing. And TV, the way it's being done today, which is very exciting, it's a completely different thing. And, you know, it just, it just, it's just a matter of finding someone who gets the story, gets the characters to try to tell it in this language. And I think we're, if it happens, it will be great. Uh, and that's... That's all, all. All I care. Sure. What um, you mentioned the Star Wars trailer. I should ask, given the amount of comic book, film, and TV that is out there, what what are your favorites? If you have any that you guys have seen so far, or what you're looking forward to? 
favorite comics, movie, what? Well, well move, yeah, movies and television are, uh, you know, kind of like, well, like you mentioned Star Wars, which I know isn't a comic book, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, like uh, those kinds of uh, genres that are happening in movie and TV. Did you watch uh, Daredevil on Netflix? Uh, has that come to Brazil? I'm, I imagine it has. Yeah, it had. Uh, I like Daredevil. I like how they could develop the characters throughout, you know, several issues. They don't, you know, they were presenting these characters. They were building these characters. It's very different from a movie that you have two hours to tell your yes. story. So I liked how they built the the Kingpin, for example. I think it's the best Oh yeah, the best character on that series. How they develop him, you know, showing little by little how powerful he was and how dangerous he, dangerous he he was, and I think that's the, the the biggest achievement on that series. And the villain is they need a good villain in this type of. Oh story. yeah, so I like Daredevil, um, but I, I don't watch all the other series, TV series. I don't watch. Any of them. Um, I think we like Daredevil, the character, because we grew up reading Frank Miller's stories, and we like the this character who doesn't have almost no power. Uh, he's you know this guy, but um, so that drew us to the series. But we don't watch uh, the other ones. We watch okay. when the like we watch when the season is complete. We might watch like The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, we we watch The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's the, okay. That's that's. Oh, you're both smiling. Okay, that's yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. We watch The Walking Dead. That's a great series. They know that's that's what I'm saying. They understand the characters. They under, understand the world, so they can move out from the comics. They can create new things. They can change the way the story is told. Um, and you know, keep the level up. It's been—I don't know how many seasons it has been, but the series keeps uh, a good one. And yes, that's very hard to do. You know, keeping the level of something for so long. And in the in the same way, we like Game of Thrones, for example, because it's cool. a very difficult adaptation, difficult difficult yes. work. And but they do it, you know. Even though it's different from the books, yeah. it's for people who have read the books, it's good. And for people who haven't read the book, it's good as well. So yeah, we we started to pay a lot more attention to everything that's adapted after we adapted stories to comic books. Yeah, we started thinking about all this process. Ah, it, it has to appeal people who know the original work. And it also has to be self-sufficient. It has to work on its own for people who had never heard of the source material. Yeah. So we, 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 we are always analyzing how the story works for people who are experiencing it for the first time. And I don't know, I, I think that's, that's bled from the, our concerns when we were adapting our latest book because it had to work for people who had never heard of the novel, it had to work for people who were who loved comic books, and it had to work also for people who had ha- read the novel before. Absolutely, no. I, I, are you after the uh, experience of of making Two Brothers? Are you looking at other possible adaptations that you guys might want to tackle down the road? Uh, well, actually. We, we did the adaptation of the novel, so um, I don't know if we, we are in charge of that, but well, here in Brazil... We, I no, see. Yeah. We, we were invited to do the adaptation. Yeah. We, did, right. we didn't go after it, and I think we wouldn't go after adapting something else, because it's a lot of work. Yeah. Like, we, we don't... You said four years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we don't want... Like, we spent two and a half years doing Day Tripper... And then we thought we would do this book, this next book, in two years, and it took us four. So when we have to think about comics that take that long to make, we we don't really go after uh, other people's ideas. We if, I they, see. if they come to us and if they are great ideas and we see that they can be great comics, 
there, then we have to think about doing it or not doing it. The same thing as working with other writers. Ah, I don't, I never thought I would draw characters that were already created by somebody else. But then we had this chance to work with Mignola on the Hellboy universe. And how can you say no to Mike Mignola when he's such an influence on our work? True. That's yes, what, and I shame on me for not mentioning, yes, your work on the Hellboy universe. Yeah. Go on, please. So that's, that's like our, that's the only time we work on something that already had a history on. And, but because we wanted so much to interact with Mike and create something on his universe, and and that only happened because we saw what Guy Davis was doing in the BPRG regular series, sure. where we saw how somebody else's uh, artistic sensibility could bring something to the Hellboy universe. Because before that, we never thought we would work on with Hellboy because it it was Mike's toys and Mike's universe and Mike's art style, but. Since we discovered Guy Davis' work on BPRD, we saw how the different artistic style could be a good thing in the story. And so, so that's what leads us to accept different projects, even if it's not something we created from scratch. It's like, ah, we see this possibility of this story being a good comic and people liking to read it and people liking to see it visually. And so that's what makes us choose stuff. But most of the time, it's projects that are shown to us and proposed to us. Because if we have, really have to choose what we're going to spend the next four years, we choose creating an idea of our own from scratch. And going back to what we said was like the best scenario for us, which is us working together. Internationally, it, I imagine, I think this is a foregone conclusion, it is easier now to, because of your reputations, uh, because of the body of work that you've built, but uh, it seems like this is the best era for creator-owned books that I've ever witnessed. Would you agree that this is, we're really in a great period of time when uh, individual ideas and creator-owned ideas are being so accepted by the comic book reading audience internationally in a way that, like I said, I, I don't think it's ever been this good before. What, what do you guys think? Um, I think there are, you know, there are good stories being told and ways of telling these stories. And you're right that there are more individual ideas, new ideas, being told and they, they get more attention nowadays. Um, but it's something that we, we discovered throughout the years is that even though we have a very successful career and a lot of readers and our own stories, our success is very little compared to the attention and to the reach of of more mainstream comics or other stories that are already there. It's I see. So Go on. you know, it's it's getting better, but it's a slower process uh, with personal stories and and different ideas. I think one of the things that helps and that is really changing is that uh, nowadays I think all markets, all international markets are opening up to different formats. So you don't have to have a monthly book to be a success in the US. You can call attention with a graphic novel in a way that you couldn't uh, before. In the same time, in Europe, those French albums had a certain size, a certain number of pages. So you had yes. to work on that format. And I think nowadays, all these formats are a little different. And Americans are more open to European size formats. Europeans are more open to American formats. Everybody's more open to longer narratives or bigger, thicker books only because of manga, because manga has so many pages. So I think all these different formats open up all markets to people so people can pay attention more on 
I don't care about the formats. I care about the story. I care about the character. I care about the yes. style. I care about the creator. And I think that really brings the best in what people are creating. Because if they don't really need to think anymore, I need to tell the story in 20 page chapters every month. I only, I, then the only thing I have to worry is I need to tell the story. What's the best way I can tell the story? And that is making people really think about how they're presenting their work and what they want to do, what's, how they want to spend their, their four years of their lives doing a book. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, that's creating a different type of comic because there's no strict format anymore. Well, I uh, I got to tell you, I I am very happy that you guys spent these four years on such an ambitious project because uh, I I do hope that uh, the readership comes. It's an excellent adaptation, but a, a beautiful story, uh, visually very dynamic, uh, incredible characters, uh, and I I I really hope that uh, you guys are you know get the readership and also a few awards uh, next uh, next summer. Because I think it's well deserved. It, it really was this incredibly ambitious book that uh, it just came out, and people need to pick up Two Brothers from Dark Horse and uh, experience uh, this this side of uh, Brazilian history and this very uh, personal family story that uh, is very satisfying on a lot of levels. So, congratulations! I know people are trying to call you, and uh, we we uh, we will wrap up here. And I will thank you for your time this morning and. Uh, Continued success on uh, on your projects, and uh, we look forward to more Casanova and more Umbrella Academy and uh, anything else that uh, comes from the brothers, Gabriel Bod and Fabio Moon. So thank you for talking today. Well, thank, uh, thank you, John. John. Yeah. See you next time. Got to tell you, so pleased with uh, how this conversation came out. I hope you enjoyed it. Gabriel Bot and Fabio Moon. Check out Two Brothers from Dark Horse Comics, uh, an amazing book that uh, you will absolutely thank me for uh, recommending. That'll do it for today's edition of Word Balloon. It was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, great savings are happening now on a lot of your favorite books. Things like Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aja. The Omnibus hardcover is 42% off, just $57.99. You can get from the brothers, Casanova. Asadia, the trade paperback, is 50% off, just $4.99. How about Silk, trade paperback volume uh, zero, The Life and Times, 50% off, just $9.99. You can get Batman Adventures, trade paperback volume three, 45% off, $9.34. How about from Dark Horse, uh, Love Hurts, the complete volume from Kim W. Anderson. It's 42% off, $11.59. That and a lot more are waiting for you at great prices in StockTrades.com. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. That's in StockTrades.com. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. Uh, this wraps up October. Great stuff coming in November. I can't tell you how many great guests we've already got lined up for you to listen to from Word Balloon. It's going to be another uh, multiple uh, episode month. But uh, happy to do it. Just too, too many people that uh, can't wait to get on and tell you about the, what they've been working on. Really neat stuff. A lot of first-timers, a lot of return uh, guests as well. November's going to be another great month, and I'm happy to share it with you in the days ahead. So stick around. More Word Balloon on its way. Until I talk to you next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2015.